This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It, it's obviously the case that there are bigots, but are they in positions of power? Are they running systems of policing that have black chiefs? Are there major differences in treatment when you adjust for differences in behavior? And what we generally find is no. Good afternoon or evening, um, all of those things. Today's episode is with Professor Wilfred Riley, an Associate Professor of Political Science at Kentucky State University and the author of books Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About and Hate Crime Hoax. So he'll be talking about, I suppose it's the culture wars, and he weighs in on the free speech authoritarian centre-right side, and I sort of debate a little bit with him because I'm a sort of milquetoast uh, centrist, as people uh, accuse me of being. Um, but but it's a good chat, I think, interesting, some interesting ideas. It's a shorter one today. Usually the Mondays and Thursdays are an hour long and the Saturdays are half an hour. This one's half an hour, so that's just because I've just had too much stuff going on over, over Christmas and holidays it's been impossible it's been hard to get people because everybody you ask to interview says like yeah yeah how's mid-january and you've got to be like well i need to put stuff out now you know but it's a great episode anyway um and also if you've got an extra half an hour to spare afterwards come check out the youtube channel because i put extra videos on there all the time where i break down analyses of different videos and all sorts of things that don't always go on the audio podcast so it's on the edge with andrew gold on youtube <laughs> that's annoying youtube i won't i won't talk like that anymore coming up katie holmes leaving tom cruise and scientology erin smith levin takes us through that again people are fascinated by that um jim harold on the paranormal helen lewis jason flom on the wrongful convictions and things dave whitehead on the great reset Emma Thorne, Reckless Ben, these are just names of all the people who are coming on, Teddy Rose, God, Jane Borowski, it just doesn't stop, so there's all sorts of things going on, some big things I'm working on that hopefully you'll get wind of quite soon, get wind of, I'll tell you about it quite soon, but now you're on the edge of the culture wars and t- taboo topics with Wilfred Riley. I've got Wilfred Riley here, everyone, the author and professor, associate professor of political science at Kentucky State University. Wilfred, how are you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. What about you? I am doing pretty well as well. So I, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk and his battle for free speech. But also, I've seen you've written this book, Taboo, T- 10 Facts You Can't Talk About. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind telling me about some of some of those facts. Uh, well, the ones that, if there are any, that are appropriate for Sean's channel that don't have any buzzwords that will get get his video taken down well i don't think any of them uh really will do that the the facts are all sort of almost mundane things about race and class relations but just sort of stuff you're not supposed to talk about so the the theme of the book is that i looked at the 10 most widely covered themes at that time this is like 2019 in us and uk media and i looked at which ones were based in reality and which ones were frankly bullshit And it turned out that they were all indeed bullshit. Hopefully that language is usable. But I mean, like the first chapter is, 
are American police, in fact, massacring young black men? Uh, I mean, obviously, at this point, you'd seen uh, Chernobyl from Black Lives Matter had gone on Fox News in primetime and said that, you know, every day an innocent, unarmed young brother is murdered. These are his words by law enforcement authorities. I mean, uh, Benjamin Crump, a well-known U.S. attorney, had written a book called Open Season, the legalized genocide of colored people, where he argued that the true number was on the order of, I believe it was a couple thousand a year. I don't want to misquote him. But actually, I dug into the databases that became the Washington Post, the Counted Project. This is all online at this point. And I mean, the total number of unarmed black people that were shot by American cops in a typical year broke down to about 20, 25. There were less than 100 unarmed men of all races killed in a typical year. The, again, the 60 to 80% majority of those every year were Caucasian or Hispanic. Those names just really weren't known. Um, when I've spoken to, to men's audiences or athletic teams, sometimes I've said, you know, no one approves of police brutality, but can you name one white guy, for example, Irish or Italian descent that, that's been involved in one of these situations? No one ever can. Uh, Tony Tempa is someone worth looking up, Duncan Lemp, uh, quite a few of these guys. But anyway, that was the first chapter. Is this happening? And it turned out, no, the total number of really unprovoked police homicides in a typical year is maybe 50 across the entire country. The second chapter looked at, uh, again, interracial crime. At this time, we were constantly seeing these stories in the media. Some of these made their way to the UK as well. But, you know, interracial fight in a dog park and this kind of thing. The idea was that there's constant conflict going on, mostly initiated by white people. Um, what we found is that violent crime between blacks and whites is about 3% of total crime. There are almost 20 million crimes in the USA in a typical year. About uh, 600,000 of those will be violent, what we call index crimes involving either a black perp and a white victim or a white perp and a black victim. By the way, to get really taboo, quote unquote, those are about 80, 85 percent black on white. Uh, it, it cuts in the exact opposite direction from what most mainstream media consumers would probably think, which isn't even surprising. I mean, there are more whites and they have more money. But again, the mainstream presentation of this was just totally false. And I go through... A bunch of other things. I mean, the alt-right on the other side of the fence, uh, systemic racism. Does that stand up when you adjust for basic things like social class, yeah, cultural appropriation, modern feminism? I mean, it's an entertaining book. But that, that essentially is, are these, are these top themes, are they supported by any reality whatsoever? And very, very often it was just no, like flat no, nothing at all. Like last sentence, but like every case involving an unarmed man, especially an unarmed black man shot by the police, was publicized. And you understand why that is, of course. But I mean, when you see people looking at this, I think the normal reaction, if you're sort of a middle class taxpayer as well, this must just be the tip of the iceberg. You know, what don't we know about? The reality is that with modern mass media, that's that's the whole iceberg. I mean, they're not missing any. They have stringers in, in these cities looking for these cases. I mean, there's, there's civilian journalists reporting them. You know, anytime mm -hmm. one of these potential situations develops now, there's a crowd of guys around with cell phones. So the... The reality is that this terror many people feel about so many things isn't based on much. That, that's something I want people to get out of the book. Yeah, I, I've, I've spoken with Coleman Hughes, who's uh, he's sort of gone back and forward a little bit. He is black himself, and he's also, I think, gone back. He at first was saying, oh, there, w there was police uh, homicides, and I think he said that doesn't stand 
I think it was either him or Peter Bogosian that it doesn't stand the test. I'm not sure. I suppose like there, there is it right to say that there are more black people getting you know pulled over for checks and things like that a pro rata. Maybe. I mean, uh, there's a guy named, well, again, so one of the points that I would make, and I make in the systemic racism chapter as well, is that before you can find racism, you have to compare almost identical people. You have to adjust for all of the different things that differ between large groups. So, for example, Asian Americans are far, including very dark-skinned, drop-in Indians, Pakistanis, so on, are far less likely to be shot by the police, so on down the line, than are uh, white Americans. And I don't think that that's because there's a lack of bias against East Asians or Arabic-looking people or something like that following 9-11 or the country's recent wars. It's because there's a lower crime rate there, and there are a bunch of reasons for that. I mean, a higher level of education, a higher level of age, so on down the line. So to, to even find out something like black Americans are pulled over more and that's unjust, I mean, you'd have to adjust for the fact that, I mean, the most common age for a black American is 27. Uh, for a white American, it's 58. I mean, it'd be totally fair to call that the modal average. So, I mean, when you see groups of young kids getting in brawls and so on in the USA, they're very disproportionately black and Latino. And that has something to do with social class, but it also has to do with the fact that 50% of the young people in the USA are minorities as versus, you know, far less than that of the population overall. So you'd have, you'd have to adjust for all of this crime rate and so on to see whether that even that is a valid claim. Uh, the guy I've seen who did best at this, Roland Fryer, who teaches at Harvard University, and he's a, he's a black guy. But he found that there was a slight discrepancy with everything adjusted for crime rate in the city and, you know, uh, suspect characteristics and so on, between the treatment of black people and white people. Black people were 11% more likely or something like that to be quote-unquote manhandled. They might put the cuffs on you, I and mean, that's obviously not good. But what he also found was that white people were about 30% more likely to get shot and killed. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about this fairly, that that's pretty notable, that the group without that massive civil rights presence sort of riding for them you might be more likely to behave in a polite fashion and not get shoved against the car. But if there is a serious dispute, you're actually significantly more likely to get killed or get wounded. So uh, what we actually saw was that there wasn't a very high rate of police abuse in the first place. Um, there was more low level abuse against minorities, but there also was more high level abuse against whites. And again, it's hard not to think that that's because Nobody knows the name of the white Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown. Um, if you are a police officer and you shoot an Italian-American or Hispanic-American guy in one of these situations, I, I'm sure no one starts the day planning to do that except for the occasional sociopath. But it's very likely that your career is not over. You know, no one's going to try to kill you. There aren't going to be marches outside the station. So that appears to be reflected in the data without stretching the numbers too far. Mm. But we didn't, nobody necessarily likes the police if you're a young man in a city and you have a beer. But we didn't find that there was a massive pattern of abuse against anyone, like looking through the articles on my end, Friars and so on. It's something I've tried to come to terms with quite a lot recently. And I, I agree with a lot of the, you know, it's just statistics. And you've got to deal with this in an empirical 
way. Uh, I've also noticed anecdotally, however, when I've been on shows, I've been on like Tim Paul, for example, or uh, one called Slightly Offensive, and these are sort of centre-right shows. I come off and look at the messages after, and it is just message after message of like anti-Semitic stuff, uh, a lot of anti-black stuff, even though I'm obviously not black, but it's just there. And that's an anecdotal thing. And I'm wondering if maybe the issue here is that we're being told so often that it's systemic racism. And maybe there isn't systemic racism, at least not anywhere near the same levels that people are trying to suggest. But there are a lot of racist people, particularly in a country with 350 million people in it, that, you know, if 1% of them are psychopaths, that's still, what's that? I don't even know, three and a half million people that are psychopaths who have all got access to Twitter. And I'm not sure there's all that much we can do about those people. I don't want to sound defeatist, but what can we do? Oh, yeah. I mean, at, at that level, I, I tend to totally agree with this. I don't think that there is no racism. And I, I think that very often you get a weird dichotomy where people on the right, I'm kind of center right myself. I mean, I have a business background. I mean, you know, stuff has to work if you live in a city. I mean, I remember growing up in Chicago in the late 90s. And I mean, you know, people, this is just at the start of that sort of Giuliani, Mayor Daly era when people started enforcing the law again. So, I mean, couples would, you know, get on the trains and hook up sexually. People would start painting graffiti in public spaces. It just, it just wasn't very functional. And that, that definitely shaped part of my personality. And later, you know, marching with Occupy or even now seeing like Hoovervilles grow up in the downtowns of major American cities. I mean, there, you can't do that. You have to have some control over your borders, so on down the line. So I, I do have center right positions on this stuff, trade, taxes. But yeah, I, I do think that often with the right, you get into kind of a weird position where a number of people on that side of the fence actually are racist. But at the same time, you also get this denial that there's any racism whatsoever. So, I mean, this sort of weird, like, well, that's all in the past, isn't it? And then, yeah, you look over at the comments and it's like, we need to yeah. make America what it used to be again. You know, <laughs> my, but sure. my real take on this, though, is that this is all measurable. That's that's really one of the takeaways I want people to have from my work, whether it's scholarly or public intellectual. Like, it's very easy to sit down a bunch of people at desks six feet apart and just totally anonymously ask them on paper, you know, would you be willing to marry someone of a different racial group, loving marriage? Would you be willing to serve in the military under someone of a different ethnic population, work for, vote for? That's actually called the work for, vote for question. We've been using that for about 50 years. And the population of serious racists in the USA, white or black, seems to be between six and eight percent. So it, it's obviously the case that there are bigots. But hmm. the question is, when you talk about systemic racism, are those bigots, those quote unquote white trash guys or hood brothers, are they in positions of power? Are they running systems of policing that have black chiefs? And are there major differences in treatment when you adjust for differences in behavior that it's kind of taboo to talk about, thus the name? And what we generally find is no. Um, also, I will say, by the way, there are just as many racists on the left side of the fence. I mean, if you look at some of the attitudes in Islamic communities toward Jews or blacks, I mean, if you look at some of the attitudes of blacks in the upper class or upper middle class toward whites, I mean, like everyone has bigoted mm. jackasses on their team. I mean, like there's a debate. Yeah, going I'm, not, on 
I'm not sure. Twitter, I mean, Islamic is the Islamic views. Are te- if we're talking about conservative Islamic views, they they tend to be a bit on on the right, and I, I can see why you'd put them on the left because it's a minority, and they're often adjacent to sort of progressive lefties who want to protect what they see as a minority thing, even though it's a religious conservative thing, and it gets really complicated. So I, I do I get what you're saying. Is it fair to summarise what you're what you're saying though? Is the problem then that on both sides you talked about how the right are often ignoring the racists among them that do exist and there is racism and how the left are ignoring the facts around the systems where, you know, there doesn't seem to actually be a systemic issue there. Whereas if both people were just a little bit more honest and they're willing to accept a bit of responsibility on their side, we could have a more honest conversation. Well, sure. And as, as a note about the Islamic thing, I mean, a simple way to look at right and left is what party you vote for. So, I mean, there may be some tradition yeah. that's causing these attitudes, but I mean, in the USA, I mean, the Muslim vote would be post 9-11, 56%, for the Democrats or even the Greens. Is that so, right? I mean, yeah. And, and that's that's something yeah. that's always surprised me, but it, it, it is very measurable. And there also just a lot of this is just middle class black kids sparring at their middle class white buddies. There's quite a lot of just minority racism. And then obviously I'll get to your question. But like right now on Facebook and Twitter, there's a whole debate about whether the movie Avatar is racist against minorities, I guess, because the Navi um, are the aliens that are practicing a sort of Native American style way of life or played mostly by white people. And the comments about it from blacks and natives and so on are wildly racist. Like, yeah, you know, whites never spent any time hunting. No white people could look that beautiful and peaceful in nature. You know, the yeah. ugly city building white folk. Like, you you can definitely scroll through social yeah. media and see a whole lot of idiots of whatever background. But, I mean, in terms of do I think people are led by tribalism away from things that are obviously true? Yeah. Um, I mean, the best example of this to me, the the Skeptic Research Center, and by the way, they found similar things when it comes to the right ignoring racism. I think it's a good measure from the left. Um, they asked a bunch of people how many unarmed black men they think are killed by the police in a typical year. And people that identified as leftists, I think their term is something like very liberal over to Marxist, like they use more complex language. But the average person who is very liberal thought that the the typical number of unarmed brothers that are killed by police in a year was between a thousand and ten thousand. Um, and then you, yeah, and then you just swung over to regular liberals, like anyone left of center, like your girlfriend, probably. I mean, like, what did they think? And it was a little less than that, but it was like twenty six point six percent. Thought it was about a thousand, you know, six point six seven percent thought it was about ten thousand, and then seven or eight percent thought it was more than that. And again, the actual number is ten. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, people definitely get inside of their sort of tribal bubble and just refuse to hear things that are not true. And th- this crosses all lines. I mean, if you were to tell someone, you know, on the right. You know, I don't think Jan- January 6th was an you know, almost successful insurrection, but, you know, Trump probably committed some crimes. I mean, if you went through his phone log, you'd find that there were exchanges with election officials that are technically prosecutable. You know, same for Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, of course. But I mean, like, <laughs> it did this. Let's focus on him. You'd hear all kind of wild denials like, no, he wouldn't do that. The big guy is not that kind of person. So people are capable of saying almost anything to defend their group, yeah. I think. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. 
on What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. That tribal thing is so strong in us, that identity thing, that I fear criticizing Trump because I think I'll lose a bunch of viewers. And that's just that's just insane because Trump is just he's monstrous as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not even I'm not talking about his politics or whether he was bad for the country. I just don't I don't I never liked the guy. I don't like I don't like Biden either. And I just feel like I've just lost two <laughs> sets of people now because yeah. of that tribal thing. What was you just oh I don't know. Hey we should get on to, to the Musk stuff. So Elon Musk is just flip flopping back and forward. I was quite excited when he first got in. What's your assessment of, of how he's been in charge of Twitter? Well, I'm I'm actually a bit disappointed in Musk for the same reason that you just gave. Um, I, I think it's obvious by this point, you know, after we saw the hysterical panic under COVID, uh, after we saw Black Lives Matter, again, US, UK, quote unquote, misplaced between the two countries, something like $14 billion. The Economist put it at $11 billion, like last July. I mean, I think it's obvious as this stuff keeps going on that that sort of heterodox smart guy right has some points. But the question is, what happens when that group actually takes over leadership? So, I mean, with with Trump and the Kushners and so on, we actually saw that in U.S. politics. And the initial idea is like, okay, let's build a border wall. Let's cut down on immigration. We're heterodox, but struck a lot of people as appealing. And then the administration itself very often just seemed corrupt and incompetent. You know, again, no offense, but that, that didn't happen. 
Like we didn't, in fact, build a wall. Like none of those things were done, whether you support them or not. Similarly, Elon Musk, I mean, one of the best known of like the center right, edgy, funny billionaires. He's going to Mars. He took over Twitter. I mean, my expectation was sort of competent leadership in a direction I would like. And he's gone in a direction I like, but competent leadership is is really pretty questionable. Like, I mean, the other day he ran a poll on the site asking whether he should step down as CEO. And uh, whether this was intentional or not, I mean, Twitter has a left-leaning audience. And this came the day after he told all the e-girls and so on they could no longer post links to their Instagram you couldn't post your Facebook. So, I mean, the vote was a smashing defeat. It was 58%, I believe, yes, you should step down. So now he's in this weird position of, does he just ignore the poll or does he step down and pick another CEO after well, three weeks? I mean, so it, the, the whole thing's been kind of circus-like. And I think that that, unfortunately, is a lot of people's impression of what happens when kind of the IDW guys take over. Um, his actual, the one thing I will say about Elon Musk that makes up for a lot of that is that the Twitter files are staggering. Like there's been an attempt to downplay this in mainstream media. But I mean, the thing about this that's important to me is that it's not just Twitter. Like, so Twitter had gone on the hill and essentially denied that they were using all these crazy tools to silence conservatives and heterodox voices and sex workers and so on. And almost were treating these Congress people like crazy conspiracy theorists. Like, what do, what do you think we know how to do over there? Shadow banning. I mean, no, we're not taking people down to zero likes. And I mean, like what Elon Musk sent to Barry Weiss was literally the control board that they had at Twitter where you could see the things they could put on a specific account, like Charlie Kirk's. And it was like shadow ban, ghost ban, trend ban. There were like 12 buttons you could click. This wasn't like one director could do this, like any staffer at probably the managerial level could do this. And if you look at some of the sites like Secret Bird that keep track of whether you've been shadow banned, tens of thousands of accounts, probably mostly on the right, other than again, sect work, have had this happen to them. So you were seeing this massive regulation of the conversation that the site was just totally lying about. And kind of last thing, but the government was involved. Like we now know there was an FBI task force of 81 guys that was going through, that was going through Twitter and that was flagging just posts like quote unquote election denial, people arguing about Biden and Trump for removal. And the removal rate was 97%. So Twitter was just sort of following along with these guys and taking down posts that were flagged by the federales. Like that, that's absolutely nuts. And this went on tens of thousands of times. I mean, just multiply, you know, 81 times, you know, enough to get 97% of times 365 days. This has been going on for five years or whatever it was. So, I mean, I, I do think that's that's pretty staggering. Why do you think the government, which I guess uh, for the last few years, but just before, is this since Biden took charge then? Because I'm just thinking if it was a right-leaning government like Trump's, then why were they pushing Twitter to delete right-leaning tweets? Well, this gets into the whole idea of the deep state. And the deep state is not some conspiracy theory. Again, like a lot of other things, like cultural Marxism by that name or another exists. Um, i.e. people want to take communist idea, communist dissent ideas about patterns of power and apply them to say male-female relations. This is utterly non-controversial. Um, 
what would another example of something like this be? The left-wing political parties in the USA and Europe have cheered for mass immigration for decades because they think it'll change the population in a way that benefits the left parties. That's just a fact. I mean, Time Magazine ran a famous cover showing a beautiful sort of light-skinned black person, dark-skinned white person saying, like, by 2043, we'll all look like this. It might have been Newsweek. But th this is one of those things that's now being presented as kind of an odd, edgy theory that everyone agreed on until pretty recently, and that is that there are large, internal, competent, but partisan bureaucracies in the West. So, I mean, when a new president comes in in the United States, my day job is teaching political science, they replace the top, it's 7,320, I believe, people in the government. So like the ambassador to Finland, this sort of thing. You know, of superior court judges that are about to retire or replace. But everyone below that, I mean, the army is part of the executive branch of government. The State Department is part of the executive branch of government. There must be 8 million people in the executive branch of government. That's an estimate. But the 7,993,000 of them remain after the transition of power. So to say it was Trump's FBI that did something really doesn't mean much. I mean, the, the head of the FBI would be someone who served under Democrats and under Republicans and who's probably taking down criticisms of Biden and criticisms of Trump, although they have a preferred candidate. The real issue is just the, the massive regulation of speech. Like, what, what is the FBI's policy on what speech is allowable is a question worth asking. Um, and a question that Congress would have asked had they known what was happening. Why does the FBI have a policy on what speech is allowable? Like, we constantly yes. hear... No, sorry, sorry. No, no, but I like that. That's it. That's the question. What 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 is the secret police's policy on speech? Like, that's a that's a very valid question. And what? Yeah. And what interest do they have? I, I just, you know, people being offended. Well, why is it the FBI's job? Let, leave that to other people, I feel like. And I, I think, as you touched on before, the, it, it is a bit more complicated when you run something like Twitter. I'm sure you know this as well than some some free speech absolutists like to think because they have to think about their advertisers. It's not really up to Twitter and YouTube all the time. And I get that because I get told that all the time because I'm always rallying against it because I'm a YouTuber. It drives me mad. But I have to understand as well. I'm trying to be more understanding of the fact they have to appease certain advertisers and things. But I think what was really insidious is what exactly what you touched on is like at least be honest with us. At least tell us because YouTube employs some of the same tactics when you've been you know I, I tried to do one or two things and I was told for months you can't do that and I was like why can't I when everyone else can and they wouldn't tell me why and I'm like am I shadow banned they go we don't shadow ban and I've just it's just like well this Twitter thing's just come out and Twitter was saying the same thing for years I wouldn't mind it just tell us what the thing is because those are, maybe I would still mind it I'm not saying you know because it's still free speech and it's still but why won't they why did Twitter not tell us a friend of mine who works in this kind of text thing he said he said well because people will try and rig it if, if YouTuber for example are very clear about the rules you've broken people will try to rig the game and get around it or something like that but what, why do you think Twitter couldn't have just told people like yeah we, we did some of the shadow banning well, I think a small part of it is what you just said. Then they'd have to deal with smart Twitizens, you know, Ben Shapiro on the one hand, or, you know, somebody on the, on the other hand, Meza Hassan ducking around. But I think a more serious reason is that Twitter had a strong partisan bias, and they wanted to ban and minimize certain accounts without being punished. I mean, I, I think that's it. Like, if you... There are, it's fairly easy to track whether someone's shadow banned. I mean, you can log into Twitter from a third party account and see whether you can see them, right? That, that's a search ban. So their entire apps, I mean, I, it's not my business, but I feel 
I should have put together a list of them before this was done. But there are a number of apps that you can use to look at whether your account is shadow banned, ghost banned, and so on. And when you talk to one of the executives from one of these companies, this is something we're planning on doing and cut the bull pretty soon in my podcast. They'll tell you, like, I mean, the majority of the people that were targeted with this were on the political right unless they were hookers. I mean, sex workers is a better way of putting that. But unless they were strippers, unless they were selling sex, like it was almost entirely edgy, heterodox. They mostly happen to be Caucasian males. And I, I think Twitter likes to have the ability to do that. But one segue, by the way, here, I, I said this early on and kind of clumsily went off on another path. But the important thing about this is that it's not just Twitter. Like, one of the things that people on that kind of quantitative center right have said for years that sounded almost conspiratorial is that information is extraordinarily curated. Like if you go to the Wikipedia page for cultural Marxism, you notice that for the past couple of years, it's been edited repeatedly every time someone tries to change it back so that it says something like this is a right wing anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that only Nazis would believe. This is like the first paragraph. And I've changed this myself and I've put in, you know, links to articles from like Tablet Magazine and academic journals saying like, you know, all controversial mm -hmm. commentary. And it's immediately, there must be some kind of warning set. As soon as you do that, it changes back almost automatically. Like very high level editors or whatever their process is must be manipulating this information. And that I'm sure is occurring throughout the entire internet. Like, does Facebook, in terms of what you see in your newsfeed, have policies similar to what Twitter did with trends? A more important one, does Google do this with their searches? Like, is there a list of sites that are quite mainstream, like the Federalist on the right or Third World Press on the left, that are considered unreliable and so are removed from search results? And I would recommend searching something mildly edgy, like black on white crime, on Google, and then on any other site, like DuckDuckGo, Yandex from Russia, you know, and stick to the, the political stuff you're searching on Yandex. But I mean, like even Bing, you'll find that the Google search, the mainstream approved 96% of the market search, omits like 75% of the results. So this is almost certainly going on throughout all of the information that you receive. There's an urban, coastal, center-left, upper-class bias. And that's one of the bigger stories of our time. Yeah, which is sad, really, because I, I guess my, my understanding is fairly limited, but of the pioneers of the internet, the sort of beginning, you know, they were all libertarians, weren't they? And they were all about the free speech of the internet. Yeah, well, the, the founder of Wikipedia, I believe it's a Larry Sanger. I've had some conversations with him online, and I've, been, I've looked at some of his research in passing. He won't use the site anymore. And I, I don't want to get into this whole, like, and it's, it's us that are being oppressed, because it's a whole bunch of people. I mean, it's the genuine true left that talks about class instead of all this woke nonsense. I mean, again, as I've said, it's anyone who's involved in sex work or large-scale selling of something from their home. You know, it's a bunch of people, certainly conservative, certainly IDW people. But the basic idea that there are people that are literally regulating the information you can send out there. And this would be true for almost anything. Again, go on Google and search buy COVID vaccination card. Not that you necessarily should, but you're going to get dramatic. Don't break the law, kids. But you're going to get dramatically different results there than you would even on Bing. And you're going to get dramatically different results on Bing than you would on DDG or Yandex. And you understand that there are these teams of people that just got out of Brown or Penn State sitting there in button downs with purple hair, literally editing the results that you can see. So that is that is something that I think Elon Musk did a very good job of pointing out. 
Now the question is where he's going to go from there. Will he remain as CEO? Will he move on? Who will the CEO be? So I don't, I don't think you've seen the best job of leadership there, but the just the revelations themselves are pretty important. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you. Do you want to tell people where to go and sort of follow you and get your books and stuff? Sure. Well, I myself am very internet accessible. If you Google uh, Wilfred Riley, W-I-L-F-R-E-D-R-E-I-L-L-Y, you'll find pretty much uh, all the things I just mentioned. My Twitter, which separately is at uh, Will, W-I-L, underscore, duh, D-A, underscore, beast, B-E-A-S-T, 630, Facebook, website put up on my college, you know, my books, both of my books were bestsellers. I mean, they're really quite easy to find without false modesty. They're on Amazon. I mean, so uh, check me out. I'm still very much at a point in life where I'll respond to what you're saying. I look forward to talking to you. Oh, it's been beautiful. Thank you so much, Wilfred. Thank you, Wilfred Riley, for coming on the show. Do check out his stuff. Look him up. That's Professor Wilfred Riley. He's on the Twitter. He's got his books. Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About. Hate Crime Hoax is the second one. And I hope you enjoy his work. Please do support our guests. It's a huge thing. They come on the show. They give up their time for it and all of that. Some big guests coming up. I know I always say that, but I've always got big guests coming up. What can I say? It's uh, We'll be talking about Katie Holmes in a few days, why she left Tom Cruise in Scientology. That's an hour long. Jim Harold on The Paranormal. Helen Lewis on on gurus on spiritual gurus and things and Jason Flom on wrongful convictions it's all happening see you soon Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do I have to say? yes you do in the car before my kids PTA meeting really? yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky I never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.